If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been going through a study on, in 2 Corinthians, um, and we've been kind of working a little bit slow. Some sections will go longer, and some will be uh, shorter. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 18 um, this morning. But before I do that, I just want to acknowledge publicly, I don't think we've officially announced this in church, but we want to congratulate uh, Max Shaw and Allie Covert on their engagement about uh, three or four weeks ago. They got engaged. So uh, that's good. We, we like to see people get married. <laughs> <Got a ch> <laughs> uh, so Max and Allie, very excited for that. And, but also um, in about a week, this is actually, I think it may be here next Sunday, but Max is actually leaving um, in about a week to um, go to boot camp for the National Guard, and he'll be gone for about seven months, so next Monday I think he heads out. So keep Max in prayer as he's gone uh, to serve our country and, and be trained for the National Guard. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says this. I'm actually going to start in verse uh, 6, but verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 um, 7 through 18. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I just encourage you this morning to follow with me in the scriptures, to look. This is a complex passage to look at, but it is a confidence-producing passage as we look to it. So I'd encourage you to follow along with me as we look at it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks. Lord, just thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for calling us to yourself. Thanks for the hope of the gospel. Thanks for the comfort of the gospel, Lord. Thanks for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would just open our eyes with wonder at your word, that we would see it, you'd help us experience it, you would encourage us with it. Lord, I pray you would be with those, even in our area this week, who had just unbelievable tragedy, and everyone that is connected with that, that you would just give them unbelievable grace, unbelievable comfort and peace, that you would God, give 
just mercy and hope. Lord, I pray that you be with um, Max as he's getting ready to leave and go to boot camp. I pray you just protect him, that you would use him, you would keep him strong spiritually. <clears throat> I pray that you just give encouragement to his family. Lord, I pray you would just give us hopeful, joyful hearts this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you be confident that God will use you? Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Can you be confident that God will use you for his glory? Is that question even asked anymore? Or is that even a question that you would even ask? Can God use me? Can, can, will, do you, do, will I want to be used? But can you be confident that God will use you for his glory? Or are you like maybe a rocket out on the tarmac and you're just not really sure? You want to be used. You, you, you say you love Jesus, but you just don't know that if they say three, two, one, there will be liftoff. N.T. Wright says, the role of humans is to reflect God's image into the world and to reflect the praises of all creation back to God in articulate and glad worship and praise. The role of humans is to reflect God's image into the world and to reflect the praise of all creation back to God in articulate, glad worship and praise. And just look at that for a moment and ask yourself, is that your life? Is that what's the direction of your life? Is, is that the role as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, that's being displayed by you? This is our role. And can you be confident that God will use you in that role? Paul's been through a lot in 2 Corinthians. He wrote to this church. He struggled with them. There's been conflict. There's been difficulty. But as he comes into this fourth letter that he wrote to them, still in the midst of circumstances that he doesn't like and is still working through things, he has a confidence of his ministry. He said, who is sufficient for these things? And such is the confidence that we have. And he writes about his confidence in this section. So how can you... And how can I have the confidence that God will use you and me for his glory in the midst of weakness, in the mundaneness of life? There's a lot of mundaneness in life, isn't there? Just getting up, doing, going, you get stuck. And we forget in that mundaneness and in our own weaknesses that we were created for God's glory. And our role as Christ followers, as Christians, is to reflect God's image into the world. It's not just getting up tomorrow to go to work. Your role is to reflect the image of God for the praise of God to all creation. That's our role. But we feel weak sometimes, don't we? We get stuck in mundane situations and, and into the mundaneness of life. And so how can we have confidence that God will use us for his 
glory. Paul is describing the confidence that he can have in the midst of difficult circumstances that are unresolved still, how he can have confidence that God will use him for his glory. And he does it in a way of three, two, one. He gives three comparisons, two conclusions, and one colossal encouragement at the end. And he said in this section, he goes, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the letter that they're talking about is the Old Testament. He's, he's, he's talking about the Old Testament with Moses getting the tablets. And what Paul says at the beginning of this is his ministry surpassed that of Moses, which is unheard of. Because Moses was one of the great, was the greatest prophet. And Paul's argument for why he can be confident is that his ministry surpasses that of Moses. And, and he, so he explains that. That's a bold statement to say why he can have confidence. And if you, it is really an explanation of Exodus 32, 34. If you have not read that in a while, Exodus 32 through 34 talks about the people of God. They've left Egypt They're wandering around the wilderness. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain. He he gets the Ten Commandments on tablets. He hears music and singing and revelry. He comes down. The people of God, they quickly abandoned what God called them to, and they begged Aaron to give them a God that they could worship. They take the gold. They create a golden calf. They start worshiping it. Moses comes down from the mountain He sees it, he's furious, he throws the tablets down, they shatter. He corrects the situation, he begs God not to destroy the people. God relents from his anger, and Moses says, I want to see your face, I want your presence. God calls him back up to the mountain, and God, for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is with God, God puts him in the cleft of the rock, God passes his glory past him, and God gives him the new, command, a new Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And when Moses comes back down, his face is shining. So much so that the people can't look and not be killed. So he has to veil his face. And Paul says his ministry is greater than that. And he gives three comparisons. So in verse 7, there's a comparison. In verse 9, and then verse 11. Now, if the ministry of death, if there were, if the ministry of condemnation, and if the ministry that was not permanent. And he does this with a comparison. And he does it in a Hebrew way of a lesser comparison to a greater comparison. And he's talking about glory. All these things, the word glory is used over and over in this section. If the ministry of death carved with stone came with such glory. So this does not mean at all that the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments or the law was not glorious or it's not good or that we don't need it. It's not saying that at all. It's saying it was very glorious, it was very good, it was very needed. And it still is. Paul is saying... That his ministry of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is greater. And he gives this comparison from lesser to greater. He's saying that the, old, the, 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 the law had great glory. Jesus is better. It, it's, it's the lesser to the greater. It's like kindergarten graduation has great glory, doesn't it? If you graduate from kindergarten, you wear the gown, everybody's excited, taking pictures. But then you graduate from high school. 
And you don't post your graduation from kindergarten. You post your greater glory of high school graduation. It's like if you get the first violin chair in high school band. That's a big deal. It's a great glory. But if you get to become the concert master in the Chicago Symphony, that's a greater glory. You talk about that. You don't talk about your first chair. If you find $10 on the ground, that's a good glory, isn't it? You talk about that all day. But if you find $100 on the ground, you talk about that even more. Both of them have glory, but one of them has a greater glory. That's how Paul talks about the law, and he gives this comparison. And the first one is this. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, with what... With, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? His first comparison is the law, that God, the Ten Commandments, is what he's talking about, or really all the law of God. And here's what the law did. Here's what the law does for us. The law revealed to us the holiness of God. The law shows for us what God demands, what it's like to know and be what God wants. That's what the law describes. And then the law reveals, though, the heart of humanity. When you get told to do something, don't do that, what do you want to do? You want to do that. That's what Romans says about the law. It entices us, it enticed us to sin, it revealed to us our hearts. If I said don't look at Corey Weiborg's bald head right now. Everybody wants to turn around and look at Corey's head because I just gave a law. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, that's all you want to do right now, isn't it? Whenever you get a law, it entices our hearts because we are, we are lawbreakers. We want to break the law. Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. The, the, the old covenant law, it, it was good. It showed us who, what the holiness of God is. It showed us what the heart of man is, that we are naturally lawbreakers, and that was good. But being a lawbreaker cursed us. It confirmed to us the problem. And the gospel's better. Jesus is better. The ministry of the Spirit is better, Paul says. Then he says in verse 9, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. This is what the law does. It condemns us. You read the Ten Commandments and you say to yourself, I've lied. I've probably stolen something. That makes me guilty of it. And even if you don't want to do those things, the law has limits. It it gives you no power to not do them. And Paul says that's why it's the ministry of condemnation, he called it. The law has no power to help you overcome it. Just being told, and for some of you, this might how you look at church. This might how you look at faith. It's just about a bunch of things to do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Be like this. And if that's your faith, if that's your view of faith, you will be frustrated. You will be bored. You will be aggravated. 
Because all of those things give you no power to accomplish them. It's just things that you're not supposed to do or things you're supposed to try to do that you can't do. And so it's a ministry of condemnation when we read the law of God. The law demands obedience. And left to ourselves, we can't meet it. But the gospel says that Jesus came and the gospel acquits us. The Spirit gives us the grace. It gives us the power to obey God because we have a mediator between us and God, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says my ministry was, was better. Then the third one is, he says in verse 11, for if, what, uh, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The Old Testament law that the people followed in the Old Testament was, was good. It had great glory. It was helpful. But it wasn't the end of God's purposes. Ultimately, God's purpose was to take that long span of time, give what he demands, expose sin, so that people would see their need when Jesus came. The law was, was, was temporary. It wasn't permanent. Because what was permanent was God himself was going to come in the form of Jesus Christ to take on the sins of humanity. And for those who'd repent and turn to him, they could have a new hope. The old covenant was good. It was filled with glory, Paul says. But the new covenant, the ministry that he was given, the ministry of grace through Jesus Christ is filled with greater glory. And this is why Paul's confident he has three comparisons. He goes, this is how I, I know that God can use me. Because of the old covenant and the new covenant, I have this greater glory, this, this greater reality to share. And so he says since this, because of all those comparisons, he gives us conclusions. He gives two conclusions. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This hope that Paul talks about, this is a confident hope. This is not some wishful thing that he hopes will take place. When Paul says we have such hope, it is a supreme confidence. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient, but Christ is sufficient. So he says because of all these comparisons, there's two conclusions. We have this hope. And we're very bold, which is to act or proceed or to make use of it. And the conclusions that he gives is that first, boldness comes with gospel hope. Boldness comes with gospel hope. If you are a person who struggles with, can God use me? Can I really be used for God's glory? I mean, I know me. I mean, look at my past. Look what I'm dealing with right now. I, I, I'm not, you feel like I don't, I'm not sure I'm worthy to be used by God. I, I've had a terrible week. I was a jerk to my boss. I wasn't kind to my wife. I yelled at my dog. I'm just not good. How can God use me? The gospel gives a hope that comes with a boldness. That There's a, there's a protection to it. The gospel says it's not about you. It's not based on you. God knows you. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 1.20, he said this, As it is my eager expectation and hope 
that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is what the gospel does. It gives the apostle Paul and us a boldness that comes with gospel hope. It's a hope of protection. That we look at ourselves and we say, I just don't feel worthy. I don't see how God can use me. I can't overcome this sin. I can't get up in the morning to read my Bible. I can't stay awake to pray. How can God use me? And the gospel keeps coming back and says, listen, it's not about you. It's about what Jesus did for you. There's a boldness that comes with this. There's a source to go to now to help us. And there is a strength for us to draw from. This is where we get the help, and the strength is the Holy Spirit. Our Kent Hughes said this, Through the work of the Holy Spirit, there is liberation to do the right thing, to consider others first, to love others as we ought to, to forgive the unforgivable, to return good for evil, and more to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. This is what the Holy Spirit gives us. So if you feel like, I can't do it, you can't. But the gospel says you can because of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to overcome these things. That Paul says we have great boldness and we have unbelievable hope, hope of protection. And I don't have to live with the shame of my sin. I don't have to live with the failure of my failures. I can keep looking to Jesus and know that the Holy Spirit is giving me the ability to overcome these things, and I can be glorifying to God. It's also a hope of proclamation. He, said, he says, this hope is not like Moses who put a veil over his face. Why did Moses put the veil over his face? He put the veil over his face not to hide something for himself. He put the veil over his face because he knew that if people saw his face, After they had sinned, the only result of that would be death. The people couldn't do it. It was a mercy for Moses to put a veil over his face every time he came out of the tent. Because if the people saw it who had sinned, they would would die. And so Moses had to veil himself out of mercy to the people. Paul doesn't have to do that. Because of Jesus, we don't have to veil anything. We can tell people, this is the good news. This is the hope. Yes, you've sinned, but there is hope for you. Nothing has to be veiled anymore. The gospel can be proclaimed. What gives a missionary the ability to leave their home and and to go far away and to, to do what God has called them to do? It's this boldness of gospel hope that nothing has to be veiled. Lila Strotter in the 1880s, she was an unbelievable artist. She was unbelievably talented, unbelievably wealthy. She had she had great success. One of the great artists of her day said, if you keep going, you will be one of the greatest artists ever. She loved Jesus. And so she loved Jesus so much that she started to serve women in other areas and started to serve the poor. And then she started, she started to pray. And as she prayed, she was almost audibly, North Africa came to her mind. She was ill. She had a heart condition, so no mission agency would take her. And so she was struggling with what to do. And she goes, I'm just going to go. And her and two other women, they, they left and they took a boat ride to North Africa. They didn't know anybody. They didn't know anything. And they landed in North Africa. And this, she, this is what she said. Three of us stood there looking at our battlefield. None of us fit to pass a doctor for any society. Not knowing a soul in the place or a sentence of Arabic or a clue for beginning our work on untouched ground. We only knew we had to come. 
Truly, if God needed weakness, he had it. And God used her. And for 40 years, she gave her life in North Africa. And hundreds of people came to Christ. Churches and ministries all over the place. In her weakness. But what allowed her to do that? What allowed her to do that was this boldness that came with the hope of the gospel. And she said this, take the very hardest thing in your life, the place of difficulty, outward or inward, and expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot. It was there he can bring your soul into blossom. If you feel like, I don't know if God can use me. It's not true because of the gospel, because of the truth, and take that very hard thing to God. And the second conclusion that Paul came to is that people are bound without the gospel. He says, when, when their ministry, even now, he says, but their, but their minds were hardened to this day. When they read the Old Testament, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. This is true. The conclusion for us is we have this boldness that comes with the gospel. But people are bound without gospel hope. Everybody you meet this week who doesn't know Jesus, this is them. They don't understand why you would gather to church. They don't understand why you'd look at the Bible. They don't understand why Jesus seems real to you. They're dulled. They're dimmed. The Bible says they're dead in their sin. And left to themselves, they all think in some way that I gotta do something to get right with God. Or either I don't want to have God, there's no God at all, or I've got to try to make myself right with God. But the gospel says no, it's been done. It's been done. What Jesus has done for us makes it done. And the way to get unveiled is when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Has the veil been removed from your eyes? I mean, is Jesus real to you? Is the word of God alive to you? When you open scriptures and you read it, does the Holy Spirit speak to you about it? Or are you just going through some fog and you know that this is what you've done for years, but Jesus isn't real to you? And the Bible just seems hard and so confusing and just doesn't feel like you're connected at all. Maybe the veil's not been removed. But the gospel hope is it can be. And you say, I want it to be. I want Jesus to be real. And I want the word of God to be alive like it says to me if you desire that ask him just ask him ask god to remove the veil ask god to help you see jesus is real he, he promises that he will and then paul gives an unbelievable end in verse 18 the unveiling of that when you see jesus is real when the scriptures and the God's word is alive, the unveiling builds unbelievable confidence. And he gives one colossal encouragement at the end. He says, 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For, for this comes the Lord, who is the Spirit. Mo- Moses, this is unbelievably a colossal encouragement to us. And it was to Paul, this is why he had confidence that God was going to use him. Moses' experience was that he had the law, he had what God wanted him to, to, to be shared with people, he had what people needed to know, but when it came for them to have a relationship with God personally, they couldn't do it. He, he had to veil himself. There was still something missing. So Moses' experience was good, but it wasn't as good as it could be. Paul's experience was Good. He, he experienced this transformation. He, he, he was an a anti-attacker of Christianity, persecuting Christians, and then he was woke up by seeing the person of Jesus Christ. He never got over that experience. And this is our experience. The great colossal encouragement for us is this word, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus is real to you, in this moment, you are being transformed. It may not feel like it at all. Things may be very difficult. Your life might actually seem boring and dull. It's the mediocre going to this, doing that. Things not happening the way you want. But the promise is that you are being transformed. It's a promise. It's, it's happening. You are being changed. It's progressive. And don't look at it in like the last couple months, I don't see it. Look back to the last couple years or four years ago or five years ago. Can you look back and say, yes, the, I, I thought differently. I felt differently about God. I, I, I lived differently. But now as I've seen how far I've come, I, I've, I've looked at Jesus, I've read scripture. I look back and see, man, I am different. Or if you had somebody come up to you and say, hey, you're not the same person that you used to be. You think differently about things. This is an unbelievable encouragement. This is a progressive change. This is what's happening to Christians. They're being transformed. This is why we need children's ministry workers to plant little seeds that take a long time to grow. And you may not see any of it, but all along, you might not even see your own growth, but all along the promise is you're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You're being changed. It's happening. It's progressive. But there's also a putting yourself in the path of that light through Scripture and seeing the mirror of the Word. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. Have you asked about that? Have you asked God to change me? Have you asked God to prepare you? Are you participating in what God's doing in your life? Are you trying to see where God is working? Are you asking the Holy Spirit? Are you pursuing God? Because what he's doing in you, he's transforming you. I talked to someone not too long ago in our church who in the last 15 years came to Christ. Things haven't been great. The struggle has been difficult. But they said to me, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't go back to what I was because I know the Bible's true. I know Jesus is real. 
and they're being transformed slowly and slowly. But the promise is you're being transformed and we're to pass this out to others. Ray Ortland says encouragement is what the gospel feels like as it moves from one believer to another. Encouragement is about life-giving power of our shared beliefs and our shared life in the Lord. This is what we're called to do, is to, to pass this out. This encouragement is what the gospel feels like. When you look at somebody else's life in our church, and you get with them, and you share with them, you're different. Or what you said helps me. Or, or how can I encourage you? This is unbelievable, colossal encouragement, Paul says, because the promise is we are being transformed and we will be transformed. Say, I'm frustrated with my life right now. I don't like where I am spiritually. The answer to that, if you're a follower of Christ, is to know the promise that Jesus is working in you. He's molding you. He's shaping you. So what you're going through now is not to hurt you. It's to make you more like Jesus. And it's also the call for you to pursue it and to participate in it. And the place that he has you in now is to move you to where he wants you to be. That one day, everybody in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, every one of us in this room, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, will look like Jesus. That's where we're headed. That's unbelievably encouraging that we can shout to the Lord and say, yes, God can use me. The confidence is we have a greater story. The confidence is we have a great hope. We have this colossal encouragement that God is working in us, forming us into the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to reflect Jesus as an unbelievable gift. So whatever place you are right now, ask God to just keep doing it or come to him.
and know 